Microsoft came out with a new laptop. They've upgraded the, set, the Surface laptop from the fourth generation to the fifth generation. Now, Microsoft claims that this chipset will lead up to a 50% faster performance overall. Like you can't go to Android for tablets. I, I, I don't know if there is anyone who would recommend an Android tablet off the top of their head. I mean, there are rumors of a Google tablet coming out, like a Pixel tablet coming out soon, and that has me extremely excited. I think probably the coolest feature and the thing that I'm most excited for is this Apple and Microsoft team up because it's something that I never really saw coming. And if this device sounds like it's something that you want to get, then I recommend you start putting some money aside because the starting price is $4,300. And one of the funny things at the event actually was that Google kind of like paralleled like, oh, we're happy that Apple's taking inspo from us. Like for example, with like car crashes, like the crash detection, the widgets and some other features as well. And it's true, but then it also goes the other way. And so like they do both take inspiration from each other. And I honestly think that that's what makes the products better. So it's a good thing, but it is definitely an interesting dynamic, especially when they all try to like own the narrative of like they're being the sole innovator. Welcome back to the Digital Dive Podcast, a conversation about tech. My name is Darsh. I am heavily caffeinated. I am also one of your hosts. And yeah, today for at least the first half of this episode, I'm going to be alone. Uh, within this part of the episode, I am pretty much just going to be doing a full breakdown into the Microsoft Surface event that happened this morning. Uh, there's a ton of really cool products that were announced today, as well as some cool new software features that I think are definitely going to capture your attention. But if you like what you hear this episode, guys, make sure to hit that follow button on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts and make sure that you get notified of every episode that we put out and it ultimately helps us get the show out to even more people. Thank you. Really appreciate it. I also want to give a huge shout out to Sebarama for leaving a five-star review on the podcast. Says you couldn't ask for a better tech podcast. Thank you. We really appreciate it. Let's roll the intro. All right. So uh, to your surprise and probably my own as well, Microsoft had a Surface event this morning and I was completely unaware that this was happening today. So this was a very, very nice surprise as I was looking for a topic to discuss with you guys for this week. So there's a couple of different devices that were announced, all Surface related. So we have the Surface Laptop 5, the Surface Pro 9 and the Surface Studio 2 Plus, as well as a couple of new accessories and software features um, that I'm really excited to share with you guys. Now, starting out with number one, let's talk about the Surface Laptop 5. Now, probably the biggest difference from last year, and this is like their main like entry-level computer. If you want to buy a Microsoft computer, this is the one that you can end up going for. Last year, you had the option of choosing between an AMD silicon like chipset or an Intel chipset. And now this year, what they've effectively done is they've made it so that you can only use the Intel chipset. So the Surface Laptop 5 will only have Intel's top-level chips, supposedly, that are meant to kind of push those performance benchmarks, but it does come at a bit of a disadvantage because the Surface Laptop 4 that was announced last year actually had the AMD option, which had proven to have better performance. This year, you'll only be able to get the Intel model with a Core i5 or Core i7 option. Now, it is at about a $1,000 price point, and it's also getting Thunderbolt 4 support, which is something that's going to be very, very cool to see here. It's going to be available as of October 25th for starting price, again, $999, which is great to see. And we also have a couple of new uh, color options, one of which being the green color option, but that'll be only on selected models. Uh, otherwise, the Laptop 5 is pretty much the same look and design as the Surface Laptop 4. It's going to come in a 13.5 inch and a 15 inch option, both with a 3 by 2 screen ratio, and they both support Dolby Atmos 3D spatial processing. So pretty much all that means is Microsoft came out with a new laptop. They've upgraded the, set, the Surface Laptop from the fourth generation to the fifth generation. Not a ton of huge changes here, but it's a nice addition to the lineup for this year and an easy way to start our conversation today. Let us know what you guys think about the new Surface devices, by the way, on Twitter at Digital DivePod. We'd love your opinions on them. Now, moving on further into the next device that, I, that was announced today that I want to talk about, and that's the Surface Pro 9. 
Now, I've had a very mixed or I don't know if I'd call it mixed, but maybe more so of a interesting relationship with the Surface line. I've always thought the Surface Pro was a very interesting offering, mostly because the Surface Pro was always just that two-in-one tablet. It was never like a full laptop. Like they had the Surface Pro laptop, like an actual like Surface book. And that was, I think, the best way they could have done pretty much any laptop for Windows. Like that, that should just be always considered the top, top tier. But the Surface Pro has always been around as this like kind of weird in-between, at least to me. Now, the Surface Pro 9 did get an update this year. It is going to come with two different model sets. So you're going to have either the Intel models, which are going to be effectively the same as the Intel models I mentioned prior. So you're going to get an i5 or an i7, um, and it's going to start at $999. However, the Surface Pro 9 also comes with an ARM model, aka it's going to have like a mobile uh, silicon built in there, which is going to be based off of Qualcomm and Microsoft's SQ3 chip. Now, I'll get into that in a, in a quick second over here. Let's run through a couple of new changes, at least on the physical on the outside of the Surface Pro 9. So the Surface Pro 9 does come in a bunch of different colors, but the tablet itself for the past couple of years have, has remained in this boring gray color. Now this year, you're actually going to have multiple color options as well as having multiple keyboard color options. So not only will you be able to get that cool blue and yellow mix, for example, uh, you'll be able to do any hue that really just fits your vibe, your kind of aesthetic best, which I actually think is pretty cool here because it's kind of like how Apple has been doing with the iPhones the past couple of years, all these very interesting and wide array of colors that you can then mix and match with all these cool accessories and cases uh, that are also in a bunch of wacky and cool unique colors. So that was a really cool addition here. There is also going to be a limited edition floral design in honor of the Surface Line's 10th anniversary. So it is going to be a very, very interesting drop this year when it comes to the design of it. You can get it in either platinum, sapphire, graphite, or forest in terms of the colors. And then you can actually change the keyboard colors uh, to mix and match however you feel is best there. So I'm excited to see what the Surface Pro looks like in person. But when it comes to everything else, what's pretty interesting about this is that the ARM models and the Intel models are actually quite similar, but also quite different. Now, the ARM option, as well as the Intel option, will both be available for the Pro 9, which is coming out again October 25th. Now, the ARM models are going to be on Qualcomm and Microsoft's like customized SQ3 chip. So this is a new chip that has been developed by Qualcomm and Microsoft in combination with one another to ultimately provide, I guess, extra cool performance. Let's, let's say that. And so what you're pretty much going to get is 5G support and a new neural processing unit. And that's going to be the biggest two differences here between the Intel and the ARM models. And so the Intel option will also be able to do, among other AI tasks, features like video backgrounds and portrait blurs that will be able to be handled internally on the CPU and GPU that's built into the Pro 9. And Microsoft claims that this unit is going to be capable of more than 15 trillion calculations per second. Now, like the Surface Pro 8, the Surface Pro 9 will also have a 13-inch display with 120 hertz refresh rate and, as always, the stylus support, which is honestly a great addition. I think that's probably the only reason why I would recommend the Surface Pro 9 to anyone. It's like someone who wants a very, very powerful tablet but doesn't want to use an iPad. That's kind of the only way I'd be able to describe it. Like you can't go to Android for tablets. I, I, I don't know if there is anyone who would recommend an Android tablet off the top of their head. I mean, there are rumors of a Google tablet coming out, like a Pixel tablet coming out soon. And that has me extremely excited. But that aside, for right now, I think the only other tablet I'd be able to recommend to literally anyone that wanted a tablet for productivity purposes and wanted like the full touchscreen abilities. Uh, yeah, like the Surface Pro 9 is probably going to be the way to go here. And honestly, I'm really excited to see the reviews and how it goes out uh, as it is released into the world of individuals who decide that they want to uh, use a Surface. We also have the Surface Studio 2 Plus, which is 
a refreshed Surface Studio 2. Remember, it's that giant PC from like 2018 that had that really cool hinge that made it almost like an easel. You could bring it down to like surface level almost with a slight little kind of raise so you could draw and do all the graphic design and stuff on it. It's honestly pretty cool. I, I think this is probably one of the coolest devices I've seen any company put out. Like if Apple had come out with something like this, I can tell you it would have been all over every single news cycle. But of course, because it is Microsoft, unfortunately, it did fall out of uh, people's rear view mirror, I guess, if you want to say. Now, uh, the Surface Studio 2 is pretty much the exact same in terms of looks from what it was the previous generation, except now there are three new Thunderbolt 4 ports on the back. And you know what? All things considered, if the MacBook Pro 2018 edition with Touch Bar that came out with four USB-C uh, ports or four Thunderbolt ports, it's possible. It's manageable. I mean, I've had this for four years now, and at this point, I've had no issues with it with just having four Thunderbolt ports. So having these three new Thunderbolt 4 ports on the back, plus what it's already existing I.O., I think this is going to be a very, very good addition to the Surface uh, lineup. And this is honestly probably one of the coolest desktop computers I think you can buy right now, just based off of sheer looks and functionality alone. It just, it looks sick. Now the chips on the inside also have been updated. So the now Surface Studio 2 Plus is going to be powered by Intel's 11th gen Core H series processor, and as well as NVIDIA's RTX 3060 GPUs. Now Microsoft claims that this chipset will lead up to a 50% faster performance overall. And if this device sounds like it's something that you want to get, then I recommend you start putting some money aside because the starting price is $4,299.99, so $4,300 for this computer. I mean, look, it's a cool computer and all, but that's half the price of buying like a Mac Pro. Like if you're going to, if you were going to, like this is like clearly very much for the professionals. Like as cool as I think this is, like this is such a professional computer, like $4,300 and that's US might I add. So I'm Canadian. So that must mean at least it's like 10, 12 grand, like maybe 13. We don't know how the dollar is moving. Like you don't know how it's moving. It's weird. But yeah, that's uh, not where we should be at. And anyway, so that's the Surface Studio 2. So everything that was announced today hardware wise was pretty much the Surface Pro 9, the Surface Laptop uh, 5, as well as the Surface Studio 2 Plus. Now these are all some pretty cool devices that have been announced today, but I think probably the coolest feature and the thing that I'm most excited for is this Apple and Microsoft team up because it's something that I never really saw coming. It's something that was very kind of out there. So Microsoft has introduced in the past how they want to bring Android and Android apps over to Windows, like to some respects to be able to use Android apps on a Windows computer. I see the use case in that and it makes a lot of sense. And I definitely don't think that Apple's going to be allowing something like that happening anytime soon with iOS apps. However, where I do see happening and what has been announced pretty much is that Apple is going to be refreshing and, it, and offering new additions to the Windows like App Store. Like You'll be able to get some new applications that are for the Apple ecosystem just to make that, I guess I could, I'll, I'll break it down to my analysis, like kind of what I see it, what Apple's doing in a second here. But effectively what they've offered now is an Apple Music app that's going to be available for the first time ever on the Xbox platform. And next year, there's also going to be dedicated apps for Apple TV Plus and Apple Music on Windows with preview versions rolling out soon. And then on top of that, they're also making it easier for iPhone owners with iCloud storage to have iCloud photo integration within Windows. So you're gonna have a iCloud photos integration within the standard photos app that keeps all your pictures synced together. So all the window users would need to do is install Apple's latest iCloud Windows app to get this integration. Now, the reason I'm getting so excited about this is I had actually gotten uh, a laptop sent out from Samsung a couple of weeks ago. I wanted to test out and play with Windows again. And I was thinking about making a video of switching to Windows for 24 hours. Now, what ended up happening was I ended up switching and moving all my stuff over. And what I realized was I just became so ingrained in the Apple ecosystem that trying to go to Windows was so tough 
it just made everything so much more complicated. And it kind of spurred, spurred this entire, I guess, issue in my head. I was a little confused here. I was like, okay, why? Like, why, how did I get this deep into the ecosystem? But that aside, Apple offering an Apple Music app, as well as the Apple TV app, and just overall like iCloud photo integration, I think this is huge. This is a really, really big step for Apple and Microsoft here. It's two of the biggest operating system companies, like literally the two biggest PC or computer manufacturers slash, I guess, computer OS uh, developers in the world are sitting down and actually working together to help make their ecosystems more accessible to their opponent. And I think that's actually just really admirable. It, it works on two levels. It's a, it's a two-edged prong here. So there's one where it's like, yeah, Apple's making it a lot easier for anyone who has a Windows computer to buy an iPhone. That's, that's pretty much what they're doing. They're like, hey, you have a Windows computer, but you want an iPhone here. Let's make it super easy for you to get integrated into our entire ecosystem without having to buy a Mac. And I think that's, that's a pretty cool feature, not because of Apple's, I guess, hidden motives or ulterior motives. Rather, I think this is a really interesting thing because though it may be an ulterior motive for Apple to try to bring more people onto the ecosystem, it also just extremely benefits anyone who does have or is any even slightly ingrained into the Apple ecosystem. Because now that you're a part of it, you have much more options when it comes to like actually building out the ecosystem a bit more and making, I guess, your life just a little bit easier. Like one of the things I had a big issue with every time I switched to an Android phone, for example, is my photos. I, whatever I take on that phone, I always want to be able to get back onto my iPhone. And, and using Google Photos is great. But what I do find quite annoying is that I have to then like go download and put it back into my iCloud. And then it's just this entire thing. So I don't ever have just one Photos app. Now, going to this Microsoft, like going to Windows for 24 hours, this entire idea that I had, going on there, I'm like, okay, wait, how do I look at my pictures now? Even download the iCloud app to the Windows computer, like that was absurdly difficult for me to kind of navigate and like figure out how it all runs, given I, I haven't used Windows in a while, so I was a little confused, but that, that's aside from the point. I was just genuinely confused. Like it just didn't make a lot of sense as an iPhone user. It didn't feel very cohesive like I'm used to with my Mac. So it kind of was a bit of a, like it did put me off a little bit, but now seeing iCloud photo integration, also the ability for Apple Music to now enter onto the Windows platform, as well as Apple TV. Like it's all these small things that I feel like just make it a bit better if you are an Apple user. And if you are someone considering to switch to iPhone, but you don't want to get a Mac, like this is also a really, really good feature there. So uh, that's a bit of my rambling, kind of my rant put to the side there. That's pretty much most of what's been announced at the Microsoft Surface event today. The only last thing I did want to discuss was uh, the Microsoft Designer app. So this is a new graphic design application that's being added to the Microsoft 365 suite, and it's powered by OpenAI's DAL-E2. It's a text-to-image generation program. And effectively what it's doing is it's an image search tool for pictures that don't exist which I think is really, really cool. So it's pretty much you go into the search bar and you kind of try to describe an image or a graphic that you'd like to use. And this AI will eventually just create the image, whether or not it's blending two images or choosing select parts of images to put together. It's fully developing and creating a graphic design for you. Like it's creating a picture for you. I think that is absolutely absurd, but not only absurd, but it's also just Incredible. I am very excited to see this in action. And I think I will definitely be downloading this and talking about it on the podcast next time I have a chance. And with that all being said, I do want to say uh, that this is going to be the end of my half of the episode. Jacqueline is going to jump in now, talk a lot about the Google Pixel event that had recently happened. She had the amazing opportunity to go out and go check out the devices in person and go see the entire event unfold in front of her eyes, which was honestly, it looked incredible from all the videos and all the Instagram stories. So Jacqueline, you can jump in here. Let us know everything there is to know about the pixels. Darsh, oh, I'm genuinely so sad not to be recording this with you live. Oh, this actually sucks so much. Like, 
I look forward to our recording sessions every week. I can't wait to be back soon. You are the best. And I have so much to say about the Pixel. It's so exciting. I'm currently recording this at 8.38 p.m. on Wednesday, October 12th. And I slept two hours and 27 minutes last night. So I am actually exhausted. I just took an hour nap to try to wake myself up for the pod. And you know, like I'm not, I'm not actually feeling like super tired, tired. It's just my body is feeling very achy. So first thing I obviously want to say, I will not recommend, and I will never recommend not sleeping to get work done. I think it's actually stupid, but I was really like passionate and in this edit and like excited about the video. And so I powered through and did it. I'm going to sleep 10 hours tonight though. So balance for sure. But last week was a whirlwind, honestly. So this is one of the first events back with Google. Obviously I went to Google IO. I had the privilege of doing that earlier this year, but this was made by Google. So it was hosted in New York city and their Brooklyn campus, or actually they have a store in Brooklyn, but it was hosted at like this concert hall. It was a very, very intimate vibe. There weren't that many people there. I hung out with a lot of my favorite tech YouTuber friends and favorite friends in general, like such good vibes. They also rented out a coffee shop, which was excellent. So if you live in Brooklyn, it's called Partners Coffee. It's really good. Actually, I'd highly recommend. They had all these seasonal drinks, lattes, cold brew. David Kogan and I were basking in it. So it was such a good vibe. Honestly, like it was such a fun week. I was so happy the entire week from all these events and everything going on. And I think it really speaks to big picture. Like even though a lot of companies can do virtual events now, there's nothing like an in-person event in terms of like getting to interact with the wonderful PR team and getting to talk with other tech YouTubers and go out to dinners and like experience the phones in person. And then I actually took home the phones with me that day. So I've been using them at this point now for guess about a week. And I have a lot of thoughts. So I just posted my day in life review today. That's what I was editing all night last night. I actually did the math on it. I think it was, uh, it ended up being a nine and a half to 11 and a half hour edit. So that's a little quicker than normal. Normally they're like 20 hours. So I feel like if I can get it down to that amount of time for every video, this becomes much more sustainable for me to post more frequently. So that is the goal. And I was experimenting a lot more with like the day in the life format, because I feel like that's like inherently more interesting than a studio review where like you still get all the value of a studio review, but then you also get to see the phone in real world use. And I also, I don't know, I have a lot of conviction that like, maybe you want to experience me interacting with the world and not just within four walls. You can let me know if that's not true on Twitter if you care. But yeah, um, I'm excited about the video. I'm excited about the film. The 7 Pro is $300 more expensive than the 7, which has created this really interesting pricing situation where on the one hand, the 7 Pro still is a really good deal. Like it's still an awesome phone, but then it's so much more expensive that it's like, is it really worth the $300? I think that that's like the question that is going to be permeating in everyone's mind. And or is permeating even the right word? Maybe it's like circulating. I don't know. Let me know on Twitter. Um, but the main differences that you get are a better display, better build quality, uh, a little bit like slightly better. The display is also brighter and it's obviously also more fluid because of the fast refresh rate and the color tone, etc. And then also the camera technology is different. So you get a better ultra wide and then you also get a better telephoto. And so the combination of those two things actually does create a more significant difference than there was last year. But the core stuff that makes a pixel a pixel, like the main sensor and the software are on the Pixel 7. So you're not going to get like a terrible phone if you get the Pixel 7. I actually think that that phone is almost like an incredible deal because of the way they've priced it. My overall experience with the phone, it has a 5,000 million power battery and Google was kind of saying that you should expect like more than 24 hours. I would not say that that was my experience with it. Um, in the day in life video that I did, it was like a very intense video, coffee shops, photos, navigation, connecting to hotspots, transferring files, etc. And I started the day at like, at 3 p.m. when like the intense part of the day started, I was at like 68%. And then I ended the day around like 40-ish percent at 
around like 7 to 8 p.m. So that is a pretty significant battery drainage, but also like very heavy use. And so I would say that over my other days using the phone, I definitely was able to have it last the entire day. But it was not a two-day phone for me. And if I really, really pushed it, then it would become a little dicey. But that's honestly any phone. Like I definitely just use my phone a lot. Last week, actually, I did 24 hours without my phone or 20 hours without my phone. And it was crazy. I've never done that before in my life. I did it with a few friends. And so this is a little bit of a tangent, but I just want to tell you my experience because I think maybe it will either inspire you to do it or you'll be like, never again. Okay, so I was with friends at the time and I think that that's why it was doable. I think if I was alone at my house and I just didn't have my phone, it would be impossible because I do feel like our phones are like the connection point to a lot of our friends and family and relationships and stuff. And so when you get rid of it, you immediately like, it feels like you lose a pretty significant connection. Obviously you should then replace it by meeting them in person, but sometimes it's not possible. Right now I have a stress fracture and so it is a whole ordeal to make plans. And then also some people don't live right here. And so I was around a group of friends that was all doing the same thing and that definitely made it much easier. And then the other thing was that I was just coming off, I did it on Friday to Saturday. And so I was just coming off like a crazy, obviously all the Google events. And so I was on my phone so much during that time that I almost feel like I needed the dopamine reset. So it was actually not that hard considering then of course, when I went back on it, I was immediately engrossed back in. But I do think it showed me that I should probably start every day Like right now I start every day not being on my phone until I like get out of bed, but I'm toying with the idea of extending that even more because I, I've like, I actually really feel strongly that we shouldn't start the day looking at other people's lives on social media and stuff. So I don't do that anymore, but even like getting an email or like getting a stressful message from someone, like it can just start your day on a bad note. And I feel like we are in control of that for the most part, if we're lucky enough to be. And so I am toying with the idea of being on my phone a little bit less. And actually one of the things with the Pixel that's cool is all the different ways that you can kind of like silence notifications. Obviously iPhone has had this as well, but we're seeing some implementation of that on the Pixel devices with Material U. And one of the funny things at the event actually was that Google kind of like paralleled, like, oh, we're happy that Apple's taking info from us. Like for example, with like car crashes, like the crash detection, the widgets and some other features as well. And it's true, but then it also goes the other way. And so like they do both take inspiration from each other. And I honestly think that that's what makes the products better. So it's a good thing, but it is definitely an interesting dynamic, especially when they all try to like own the narrative of like they're being the sole innovator. There were a lot of cool features though at this event. So for example, that were kind of innovative accessibility wise, especially. So there's a new feature that will kind of assist um, people that are visually impaired in order to take selfies. This is a feature that when they were announcing it, I didn't even really think about what they were talking about at first. And then when it clicked, I was like, oh my gosh, like that's actually, that sucks that that's the thing that visually impaired people just like can't easily do. And I'm so happy that Google is a company that's actually working on making it possible for them to do that. And then other things as well, they're still like um, true skin tone. So it tries to accurately represent everyone's skin tone on camera. I think that that is so important. And I'm so happy that Google is leading the charge on that. And because Google is such a big company, I feel like they're constantly working on so many random projects that don't necessarily relate to like the bottom line of being profitable, but they just like better the world, whether that be like flood detection stuff or transcription features, or for example, now in the recorder app, um, you can actually, it will specify who is talking when. So like, let's say you're recording a meeting for someone that can't be there in the moment. Maybe they're sick. Maybe they have just an event or something. Now it's easier to see who's actually speaking and you can quickly read through the transcription. And then also, if you have a friend that sends you voice memos constantly, I'm kind of that friend now. I used to hate this type of person. Now, not only do I love this type of person, but I feel like I've become them. Whether or not my friends like that is hard to say. But what's cool about it is that 
when you're sending a voice memo, it feels like personal kind of, and like you can say more. I feel like sometimes I really burn out on texting, but it also creates a very inconvenient situation for the other person because they have to be in like the right area to be able to hit play. And so there's a new feature now that will transcribe the audio message. And that feels so smart. And Google transcription is actually like wildly accurate. Like even in the recorder, I'm constantly blown away by how good it is. It feels significantly better than like Siri, for example. And I feel like as it keeps going, it's just going to get better and better. Like the way their computational photography has. So that's an exciting feature. I am not in love with cinematic mode at launch. For some subjects, it looks amazing. And it's like, wow, like the background's blurry, etc. But then if the subject has any type of like edge to it or thing that may throw off the camera, it really throws it off. So like I was doing some street sign, like I was putting some street signs in the video basically and the camera like could not handle it at all. So that's a feature that obviously is just coming out to this phone. Apple's had it for a while. Google is amazing with computational photography. I'm sure that they're going to learn a lot from doing this and next year it's going to be an even better feature. So I am pretty stoked about that. Honestly, like I'm just excited about tech and tech events. Honestly, like the next couple of weeks, I have so many different like things going on that are like related to videos, but also a little outside of them, whether that be like work trips or planning. I'm working on a course right now, actually, for Nebula, a class about writing the narrative in tech. I'm so excited about it. That's just like a little podcast exclusive for you guys. I can't wait. I'm like kind of freaking out about it because I'm so passionate about editing and storytelling and tech videos. So I'm so excited about that. But all these other things are like some, sometimes I feel like some of the other things are like pulling my attention away from the main thing, which is like just trying to make the best videos possible and the most wholesome community possible. And so this week was just a really good reminder of like sticking to my roots of making videos. And you guys like showed up like this video is performing one of 10, already 70 people subscribed just from this video. And it's only been up for a few hours the retention time is longer. CTR is higher. There's already 366 hours of watch time. Like that is a mind blowing statistic. And I, i like try to always make sure that I never like get numb to just seeing stats on the screen because that's insane. Like if I spend 30 hours on this video, you guys already like spent so much more time watching it. And that's the coolest thing in the world. And I feel so grateful for you and Darsh as well. Like with this podcast, like there are hours of times that you like, well, you looked at our watch time recently and it was like, so much. And that's just like crazy. Like we're, we're just able to have a conversation like with you guys every week because of this podcast and it's the coolest thing in the world. So yeah, this is such a great week. I appreciate all of you so much. I'm so sad that Darsh and I couldn't do this episode live, but I was like, may as well, like we should try this format and just see. So let us know on Twitter if you like this format. Obviously this is not going to be a regular thing, but that is a deal. I want to give one recommendation for stuff we like this week, just because I feel like we have to. And it's a song called Consequences by Camila Cabello. It was on my 2019 album, I think, like my one of my playlists. Um, and it, I kind of go through phases with songs where it's like, I'm like infatuated with them, love them. And then they go on all my playlists for a while. And then I need like a little bit of like a reset. And now they're back on my playlist. So I would recommend that one. I hope you have an incredible week. Get a cold brew, start your Monday off right. And I will catch you next week, 7 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Eastern. So appreciate you guys. All right, bye.